0: Our scripture reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9, verses 51 through 62. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him. On their way, they encountered a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him but they did not receive him, because his face was set towards Jerusalem. When his disciples James and John saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them. Then they went on to another village. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Will you join me in a spirit of prayer? Holy One, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each and every one of our hearts this morning be acceptable in your sight. For you, O God, are our rock and our redeemer. So in this morning's text, we find Jesus on what is often called the travel narrative in the Lucan Gospel. He's on his way someplace. This someplace is Jerusalem. And just a bit earlier in this Gospel of Luke, Jesus has warned all of his disciples about the suffering that is to come when they make it there. He's warned them. He's given them a fair warning, but in typical disciple fashion, They really can't fully comprehend the level of suffering and humiliation and torture that their leader would be experiencing in their final destination. So the scripture says this. It says Jesus has set his face towards Jerusalem, meaning that he is determined and steadfast. That is where he is going. He's unwavering. And as Jesus and the disciples go on this journey together in this travel narrative section of the Gospel of Luke, they come upon this Samaritan village. And now typically in our Gospel text, we read of a Jesus who is really accepting and open regarding the Samaritans. But in this scripture this morning, we read about this Jesus who is just set on Jerusalem. His face is set on Jerusalem, it says. And perhaps it's this intense determination to move forward that drives Jesus not to rest in the Samaritan village, but to press on towards Jerusalem. Perhaps it's that, that he is just so determined to get to Jerusalem that he does not rest in the Samaritan village. Or the other option in this text is that there may have been this lack of hospitality for Jesus, this rejection of who he was, And that is honestly a bit unclear. And scholars have debated this forever. Is it this lack of hospitality in the Samaritan village, this rejection of Jesus, which is why he doesn't stop there? Or is it that he's just so determined to get to Jerusalem? But what we do know is this. The disciples are very offended. The disciples are very offended that the Samaritans do not throw open their doors for Jesus They see the Samaritans not hosting Jesus, and they take this as an absolute affront to these values of hospitality. It's a rejection. And so the band of disciples, who at this point are a bit overconfident, they ask Jesus if they should command fire to destroy these Samaritans because of their seemingly lacking hospitality. And that is a pretty intense response, and one might might even wonder, How would these disciples do this command of fire? But it is then, it is then in response to this impulsive and offended nature of the disciples that Jesus turns to this morning's narrative in this profound call to discipleship, this really intense call to discipleship. And we should note that Jesus in this moment is speaking directly to his followers. He is not attempting to recruit followers. He is speaking to the ones who claim to follow him already. And some of what he says may seem pretty grandiose and exaggerated. But that is really in keeping with how Jesus speaks in this Gospel of Luke, exaggerated for the sake of impact and emphasis. And so the line that stands out in the scripture which has given pause to so many otherwise happy-go-lucky Christians, is this one. Let the dead bury their own dead, but as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. That's extreme. That's an extreme statement from Jesus. That comes from a Jesus that some of us may be unfamiliar with. But it behooves us not to ignore it. It's best not to ignore that this is the word that Jesus said, but to read it in the context of all the other statements that he makes over the course of the Gospel of Luke. He speaks like this more often than we think, in hyperbole and exaggeration for the sake of making his point. So what he's saying is this. To be a disciple, you must leave home. You must leave comfort. You must leave certainty. You must instead be willing to sail off into uncharted waters of mystery and challenge and the unknown. And there is this real sense of urgency in this moment. Because Jesus knows what is about to happen. He knows that on their way to Jerusalem, when they get there, tragedy will happen. That soon he will be taken to the cross and his disciples will be without their leader. He knows that. He knows that whether they are ready or not, reality is about to strike, that the disciples will be launching from safe harbor into these uncharted waters as their leader is taken. So this morning's scripture is a journey. It's a journey to Jerusalem, but more than that, it's a call to discipleship, a call to disciples to be aware of what it actually means to be a true follower of Christ, to be a person who endeavors to proclaim the kingdom of God. What is that kingdom? It's justice, it's love, it's peace, it's grace, and it's all that flies in the face of the ways of self-centeredness and ego and power that are the markers of the ways of this world. It is a radical notion to proclaim the kingdom of God. So towards the end of this morning's scripture, Jesus uses this imagery of plowing a field. This person with this plow in front of them. A metaphor for somebody who's going to go out and do the work of discipleship. So he says this, no one, no one who puts a hand to the plow and then looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. What does that mean? Well, if you're plowing a field. If you're plowing a field, it is so critical that you keep your eyes looking forward and that you do not take them off the goal, that you plow with precision and awareness and intention. And if you take your eyes off the land in front of you to look backwards, you are likely to swerve to the left or to the right, to stumble. So the act of plowing, that's what it's like to proclaim the kingdom of God. It takes intention and awareness and intensity The plow operator, that's the disciple. The disciple in the story, the disciple who we endeavor to be in our own lives. And looking back, that means looking back to that safe harbor. Looking home again, looking to comfort and safety and sureness. Security that is not the way of the kingdom of God. So what did the disciples do with this? Having heard Jesus tell them these profound words, did that change the disciples' decisions in the near future? We know from the stories that it did not. Because these disciples are so incredibly human. These disciples are like you and me, and we may hear the most compelling and even exaggerated truth and still not follow that they're still liable to fall back to the comforts of safety and certainty rather than living boldly into their call from God. The seductiveness of certainty. So after the crucifixion and the resurrection, the disciples, they are totally overwhelmed and grieving and confused. And what do they do? They go back to safe harbor. They literally go back to safe harbor. They become fishermen again. They go back to what they know. They take up fishing, they take up their old and comfortable occupations, and they retreat to the patterns of lives that they had before their call to discipleship. And they stay in these familiar patterns of fishing all the way up until Pentecost happens. Remember that a few weeks ago, the Holy Spirit interrupting their lives and empowering them to do the work of evangelism of spreading the good news of the gospel of Christ around the Mediterranean. So this morning's scripture begs a few questions of us today. So the first is this. The first piece of this scripture, the first set of questions this scripture begs, as a disciple of Christ, how do you live differently? What are the safe harbors that you might be called to move beyond in order to live into your call from Christ? How does discipleship change your life? If somebody really looked at your life, if you yourself analyzed your life, how exactly would they know that you are a disciple of Christ? How would they know that you're Christian? What's changed? What's different? What are the markers of that identity? This scripture really gets at identity. It gets at this notion of identity and the implications of identity and how we live in the world. So if you have an identity in Christ as a disciple, that changes fundamentally who you are. You're no longer just flesh and bone. You're children of God. So I invite you this week to think about these identities. Think about the identities that you have in your life, the roles that you occupy, Perhaps parent, or spouse, or friend, or neighbor. Identities can also have to do with the cultures that you are formed in. New England, Nahant, Island. Each of these identities and roles that you have carry with it these certain expectations for what you do and how you live in the world. So what about when you think about your identity as a disciple? as a follower of Jesus, what does that identity tell you about how you conduct your life? I come from a military family, a many, many generation Marine Corps family, and I'm now in an Army family. And one thing that I know to be true from having been steeped in military culture and identity is that those in the military have a way of mid-conversation just standing at perfect attention when they hear the national anthem, close or far. Their identity as military results in this behavior of standing at attention. And now I also married into a family that is a major football family, and they are not from the Boston area, so bear with me as this is not even a little bit Patriots related. And I had never seen anything like a true football identity until I was in New Jersey and a Jets game came on. And there were rituals and chants and specific jerseys to be worn in specific places in the living room. There were times to sit down and times to stand up and none of this was familiar to me. That is identity. That's identity as a Jets fan that results in behavior associated with this fandom. So what about discipleship? If your identity is a disciple, what are the markers of that in how you live your life? What does that tell us about your behavior, your conduct, your way of being in the world? The second piece that goes with this scripture, if the first one is discipleship and identity, the second one is evangelism. Because twice in this scripture, we hear about proclaiming the kingdom of God. And that evangelism, that E word, is a notion that is very challenging to grasp for many people in mainline traditions who associate evangelism with door knocking at inopportune times, with handing out tracts, with invasion of personal space. It flies in the face of so much of what it means to be New Englander, so much of what it means to respect other people's traditions and personal space, so much of what it means to be ecumenical and multi-faith And yet, it doesn't have to mean that. St. Francis of Assisi said this, preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. That's a charge that pairs with Jesus' charge today about proclaiming the kingdom of God. Because evangelism can mean the way that we live, the way that we live out discipleship in the world. It can mean the way that we conduct ourselves. That can preach and proclaim the kingdom of God. It can mean being a beacon of hope and a conduit of God's love. And evangelism, I would say is worthy of reclaiming, along with discipleship. So this is a charge this morning from Jesus and from St. Francis. It's indeed a challenge, a challenge to us all as disciples to preach the good news of hope and resurrection Of grace and of love and of joy through the ways that we are in the world. So, as you go out into this week, how are you going to do that? How are you going to proclaim the kingdom of God through the way that you are in the world? Through how you treat your neighbor and creation and yourself? Through not only your words but your deeds? How will you go out and be a disciple of Christ? How will you go out? and proclaim the kingdom of God. Amen.